This is exactly right. You have to become an interpreter of yourself, you know, where you have to figure out, all right, what does this signal really mean? And what am I real? And is there real danger here? Or is this just my brain telling me something that isn't actually the case, which can be tricky, right? And you, you, you have to have a certain level of awareness or commitment to doing that. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. Because no matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is all about that, is all about that. As you will soon see, today's show is I Am Courage with our guest, Susan Verde. Susan grew up in the heart of Greenwich Village in New York City, and as a kid, she kept a piece of chalk in her pocket for spontaneous hopscotch, of course, and her skate key around her neck, always ready for the next adventure. She found inspiration everywhere and loved to write about it. And now she lives by the sea in East Hampton, New York, with her three children, their dog, and a menagerie of other creatures. She writes books for children of all ages and teaches yoga, uh, kids yoga and mindfulness, and she is herself a yogi, still working on her headstand. Her best-selling award-winning stories range from explorations of music, art, and museum visits to the concepts of serendipitous friendships, environmental issues, empathy, and humanity with an emphasis on yoga and mindfulness. Her stories celebrate the unique voices and experiences of kids and inspire adults to let their own inner child out. There's so much more to say, but we're going to say it in the show. Susan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually really excited to be here to be able to talk to you. So, yay. So, life was always an adventure for you as a <laughs> youngster? Huh. Um, well, life was certainly an adventure. doesn't mean that it was necessarily all a positive adventure, um, but it was certainly full of st stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And by the way, just as an aside, I always feel so old when that skate key thing comes up because nobody knows what that means anymore. So yes, yes, yes. Right. I know what it means. <laughs> okay, I know what it means. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what it means, you don't even need to know because yeah. it's old. Yes. It's okay. Old. So, um, well, if I can like intuit here, because life can be um, complex, of course, when we're young, based on different circumstances and creativity and adventure and um, going within um, can also be, going within and exploring what's outside is often an escape um, when things can right. be challenging. Right. I think, you know, um, 
I mean, I, so I grew up in the West Village in the, you know, late seventies, early eighties, nineties, all of that. And it was a very creative time just in my neighborhood. I was surrounded by artists and dancers and I don't know, there were tons of vintage shops and everyone was very creative and all that stuff. And so that I, I kind of, um, you know, felt like that all was part of my life, but as far as my inner emotional life went, I mean, when I reflect back now, you know, I didn't have, as you, as you spoke of awareness earlier, I don't, I didn't have the awareness. I didn't even know that you were allowed to consider your inner life. You know, that wasn't something we did. Um, I didn't have that sort of metacognition process going on. I, I, I just, uh, what I heard, what I felt, that kind of what was what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the creativity part, the writing and and reading and escaping into books and expressing myself that way was, it, it was that escape, you know, it was kind of trying to figure out um, how to manage all these feelings that I might have been having that I didn't know I could tap into or talk about. Mm-hmm. And I want to give some buzzwords out to our audience. So one of the things that um, that you do is a lot of SEL, work with SEL curriculum, and that is social and emotional learning for everyone. And within that is metacognition. So metacognition is the idea of thinking about our thinking. And most of us, first of all, you can't think about your thinking until you get to a certain age of development. Um, however, that being said, there are many of us who grow th- go through life and don't know that that's actually a thing that we have this this these thoughts that aren't necessarily true that drive our behavior and that kids can be mindfully purposefully taught to think about their thinking so they can make good choices. Um, so say a little bit more about what you have learned about metacognition. Yeah, well, I think you know. <sighs> As I as I had my own children, I I wanted to uh, give them the things, and in my writing, I want to give the reader things that I sort of wish I had had, wish I had known, and um, so, and also I was a kindergarten teacher for many years, so all of that, you know you are, you've got the emotional life of children in your face all the time, um, and I. As I learned in my practices, my yoga practice, my mindfulness practice, all of those things, as I learned to think about my own thinking and to kind of counter the thoughts that were popping into my head, I was very committed to making sure that my kids were able to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, and what I didn't know was that I was going to end up with, so I have three children who, you know, have anxiety. One of them has terrible OCD. So that's always dealing with thoughts in your head that are telling you something that's untrue. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was going to be the case. But what I did know is that I wanted them to be able to counter those thoughts and to be able to, you know, when, when it's like you have two minds, you have the brain that tells you something, Mm -hmm. and then you have your own mind where you can say, actually, though, that's not really the case. Or 
why am I thinking that? You can ask yourself, why am I thinking that? What is actually going on here? And so I did try very intentionally and 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 hard to to pass that ability on both to my students and then to my my own kids. Um, just because our minds are always going to do that. They're always going to say things like, you can't or don't mm-hmm. do it, you know. And right. I think in an interesting way, the older I've gotten and the more I've been able to kind of practice these things, I feel like your mind is not necessarily being mean to you. It's trying to protect you. When it tells you I can't, it's like, wait, well, why are you saying I can't? Well, because you might fail or you might embarrass yourself or you might. So let's not even bother because, you know, and once you start being able to sort of question that, you can you can then counter that, like you said, and make these choices like, well, if I fail then I can learn how to do it better the next time. Or if Mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed, well, then I can laugh it off and go, you know what I mean? So you, you start to cultivate this, this ability, this to, to create your own or to really tap into like who you really are and the Mm -hmm. the good things about yourself and the abilities you have and all of that. So, And, and I like how you're separating, um, for us, the difference between sort of our brain and our thoughts that come into our brain and then this other self, this other I that gets to examine it, right? Because we want to create this space to examine, all right, what am I thinking? Um, is that true? You know, is that does that really always happen? Right. And that makes me think of um, spending a lot of time working and writing about anxiety myself um, and know how to experience it as well, is that um, there was this author um, and he, uh, the scholar, uh, neuroscientist, and he talked about signal anxiety. You, you talked about, you know, keeping us safe. And it was fascinating. He gave the story of he was traveling somewhere um, in, the, in the Far East, and he was about to get on a plane, that a small plane, like an island jumping plane, that looked really rickety, and the pilot looked to be um, drunk. And he started to have a panic attack. And he realized that that was what he called signal anxiety, which was the survival instinct to say, don't get on that plane, which is different if we ask ourselves, why am I feeling that way? Okay, okay, that's not safe versus um, why am I feeling this way when I'm walking into my classroom? Or why am I feeling this way when I go into soccer practice? Right. Is trying to understand the differences of why we're feeling a certain way, and then building, as you um, are have written about, um, a resilience, like coping and resilience. Right, right, and there is that figuring it out. You know, it's not as though everything your brain tells you is automatically untrue. But I mean, that's fascinating because it is. It's kind of you have to become an interpreter of yourself. You know, where you have mm-hmm. to figure out. What does this signal really mean? And what am I real? And is there real danger here, or is this just my brain telling me something that isn't actually the case? Which mm-hmm. can be tricky, right? And mm-hmm. you, you you have to have a certain level of awareness or commitment to doing that. Mm-hmm. So I know that self regulation um, and teaching self regulation, um, teaching mindfulness, teaching you—this know, is all really important to you, and I'm wondering. It, I, how has how has parenting becoming a parent intersected you know with your your path your trajectory and your your purpose 
Well, parenting was a real challenge to all the things that I thought, you know, I knew and I had in my pocket and I worked with my students and I knew how to do all of this. And all of a sudden you're a parent and you're exhausted and um, your kids somehow figure out how to push all the buttons and a lot of that stuff kind of contemporarily or, you know, go for longer, go out the window. Um, And that's But I have found that actually what these practices have done for me as a parent and how they've made me a better parent is one, I'm better able to, when there is something going on, to openly talk about it without shame, fear, um, hesitation. And maybe, you know, my kids would tell you I overshare, but I wanted to overdo it in order to show them that they there's nothing that they need to to feel they need to keep a secret in terms of what's going on in their mind right and then also i have an awareness of when i'm projecting my mm. own stuff onto them so when i you know walk into a when when i when i, I walk into my daughter's room let's say and uh she's you know eating, I don't know, junk food at 11 PM. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I start getting really upset. It's me thinking like, oh my gosh, when you were younger, you know, you had that period of time where you were depressed and you ate late at night and then you put on that, all that weight. And then this happened and then that happened. And my catastrophizing is what Mm. I'm dumping onto them. When in fact, you know, I could say something completely different that didn't feel so judgmental or so, but um, so I, it's, it's given me this ability to notice that. And then I can say, you know what, this isn't about you. This is about me. Keep doing what you're doing. You're good. I'm going to go take a breath right now. That <laughs> is huge. Yeah. So that, that awareness is huge. Um, because it's human nature just to act based on what one's feeling without first assessing taking that step back to be like, is this me or is this, is, is this, is this you? And I was listening to someone else say, um, they were talking about how what they aim to do as a parent is basically identify all the crap they're heaping onto their kid so they could do their best not to heap their own crap onto their kids so their kid could just develop their own and not also have to deal with hers. Right, right. Because the kids are going to develop their own, of course. Absolutely. It's like, you know, you have to kind of (laughs) parent yourself or reparent yourself at the same time as you're parenting your your own kids. And, you know, when I, I grew up with a father who... I mean, I loved him dearly, but he was very fearful all of the time based on his own stuff. Mm-hmm. And that fear would come out a lot as anger. And I work very hard at noticing when I start to project or say something like, what is this really about? And this is where I start asking myself, you know, is this fear? What am I afraid of? What is happening? And that and and that ability has then allowed me not to dump so much crap on my kids. Mm-hmm. I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, or l- we can say confidently less, just by uh, your awareness. Yeah. Less, less, yeah, less. less. And um, then, you know, they're all yeah. teenagers now, so they are. And I would say about somewhere in middle school, they got to this point where they could actually say 
that's not about me, mom. That's about you, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was helpful and annoying, but helpful. So um, it also, you know, they are developing that awareness too. That that's that's also really uh, significant that they are. It it's making me think of. I saw a um, a cl- uh, a mother of a college age client, and this wise the client who I haven't seen him lately. I've just seen his mom a few times. This wonderful person, and we laugh because she feels better when he, it, it, like she'd feel better if he's checking in with me to talk about whatever the things that she is. Um, validly worried about related to him, and she, and he has said on these two occasions, you know, mom, I actually think that you probably should spend the time with Dan instead of me because I think this is more about you, <laughs> and and we laugh because it's like you know what he's he's right, not that she is not valid with the concerns that she has right. for him, but it's more about what she's thinking and what how she's worried about different things that may or may not happen. Right. Oh my gosh, I can completely relate to that. And now I'm at this place where the kids are, you know, I'm imagining already, I have two boys who are seniors, that they're going to go off to college or whatever. And I, you know, what am I going to do with myself? And how do I not put that, worry or fear onto their senior mm. year experience because I'm, you know, they don't, you know, I'm like, why, why aren't you spending time with me? Well, that's about me. That's not about yeah. them. Yeah. It's yeah. not easy. It's not easy. It, it's so, it's not easy <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, there was, my wife sent me a meme. Yes. A couple days ago. And it's, it was a quote, as our as our kids get older, parenting gets easier. And underneath it says, "Said by absolutely nobody." <laughs> Ever, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it doesn't get easier. It just no. changes. No. Yes, I think less physically demanding, more emotionally and psychologically yes. demanding. Also because they they stop talking as much, so you can't get yeah. into their heads the way you could when when they were younger. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so you have well, actually, before we get to your series, we're going to talk about your series. But tell tell us about your um, your entry into yoga and mindfulness. Um, so i I started practicing my own yoga probably in my mm, early twenties. Um, I had gone to college and didn't know what I was doing there and was going through my own, you know, depression, anxiety situation and had dropped out, moved back to New York City um, and was working and all of that. But I had a beautiful, amazing friend, thank God, who was like, you need to go to yoga. And of course I said, no, I don't. And Mm -hmm. she said, yes, you do. Just come with me. Just come with me. And she took me to a yoga class and, um, I, I was hooked. I was hooked more because of the, uh, the atmosphere and the, you know, the affirmations and all of those pieces of it. This, this, you know, kind of like, listen to your body and you are, I don't know, these teachers, they just say these brilliant things all the time, not all the time, but much of the time. Um, and that got me sort of thinking about, wait, there's a community out there who actually like thinks this way. And so that got me continuing. Um, and that kind of spiral spiraled into meditation and then mindfulness, m- mindfulness meditation. Um, and so that was just something I 
I needed and wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, it really helped me with that sort of thinking about my thinking kind of process. Uh, and then, and then ultimately, I was a teacher. But then, when I stopped teaching, I, I took some time off to have and raise my kids when they were little. And I desperately wanted to reconnect with kids in the classroom, but I didn't have that kind of time or commitment. You know, teaching is not just a nine to three job; it's an all day, every day kind mm -hmm. of thing. And um, so I was thinking, what could I do? What could I do that would make a difference? And it occurred to me that these practices, especially in the context of school, could make a huge difference. So that's mm -hmm. when I started doing the trainings for all of that. And, um, and it kind of went from there. Let's talk about um, mindfulness and meditation uh, more for people because, I mean, it, it's amazing. It's wonderful that more, it's becoming more and more a part of our mainstream culture and our mainstream conversation. And I say is whenever relevant, tell people like I waited too long to start meditating. I, I probably thought about it for a decade when my kids were young, but I quote, never had enough time to do it. So it was like, I'm more of this all or none sort. So I, I wouldn't do it. So what I started doing is being more mindful on my runs and have like, what I didn't realize was also a form of meditation, like m mindful when I wash the dishes, mindful when I'm doing the laundry, mindful when I was on my runs. And I didn't get to actually sitting meditation on a regular basis till probably, you know, maybe three years ago. So much later than I wanted to. So tell everyone, like dispel the myth about yeah. you know what it's supposed to be and and you know that you know, thing that keeps people I from it. No, we all have well not we all but many people and actually I will say that when I started this sort of yoga mindfulness journey in schools it was I got a lot of pushback. There was a lot of fear. Um it was a very slow process and now it's part you know becoming like you said more mainstream and schools really well I think once there was research to show that, you know, grades improved and kids' moods improved and all of these things improved and we could quantify it, then it became a little more, okay, let's do it. Um, and I don't care how it gets mm -hmm. in there as long as it gets yep. in there. But uh, there is this idea that meditation and mindfulness meditation needs to be you sitting on a cushion for a minimum of 20 minutes with your eyes closed, letting your thoughts just go and not, you know, and feeling this like nirvana bliss. And it's really, it can be that, but, and I don't know about the nirvana bliss part, but it can right. be all <laughs> of those things. But um, it's not all of those things. As you said, mindfulness is just this, this awareness, this attention, this present moment being. Um, and I, you know, and I know this also because I have these three kids, right, who are very active and sitting still is not what they can do. And when they were little, you know, I bought the meditation cushions and I was like, we're all going to do this as a family. And that lasted, you know, a day. Um, but I have children who have things that they do that I notice while they're doing these things, they are practicing mindfulness. My son is a surfer. When he's out on the water, he is fully in it. There's no electronics. There's no nothing. He sits on his surfboard, watching the waves, watching the water. He can get, you know, he can finish his session or whatever. And he can talk to me about what the color of the water was, what fish he saw in the moment, you know, how it felt, this wave crashed, this wave, this wave. And that's mindfulness. 
he's in it. He's present mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can, you can do, I mean, even the simplest thing like standing in, in the spot where you are and taking three breaths in which you are fully paying attention to those breaths. That's mindfulness. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't need, so it, it doesn't need to be so, you know, it feel it can feel inaccessible and woohoo and all of that, but it doesn't need to be. Uh, I feel like the more you find yourself sort of being in the present moment, you know, you're taking a walk with your child, your phone is away, you're looking around at the trees, you're talking to each other, that's being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the things that we can really practice in real time, in real life. And then if that feels good to you, then you can try the sitting and the meditating and all of that. But if you never get there, if you have those other moments of, you know, presence, you're practicing. Yes. Awareness in the present moment, everyone. Awareness in the present moment. It it. can be looking at a leaf on a tree. It can be just being aware that you're breathing and alive. It's just, it's, it's whatever it is, but you're just aware of it. Exactly. And and this does link to metacognition, just to link it back. Like this does, those of us who are, pra- you have to practice this. So those of us who practice being aware, even if you're not calling it mindfulness, it allows you to have that inner dialogue with yourself and look at your thoughts, feel your emotions, and then choose how you want to engage, disengage, act, or react. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly when I, when I get to go into schools and talk to kids and, and take them through whatever mindfulness exercises we do, that's exactly how I explain it to them. Like it just, it gives you this moment. You are allowed to have all the feelings you want. That's the human experience. Be angry, be sad, be whatever. But when those feelings take over, you've lost you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have these feelings, but when you stop and take a deep breath, it gives you that moment to think about your feeling. I'm angry. Okay. So now what can I do about it? What can mm-hmm. I do about it? That's okay for me and the people around me. It just gives you that pause. And it's in that pause where you can make a choice. Mm-hmm. Yes. That pause where you can make a choice. That makes me think of, um, the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, and then there was the eighth habit. And the thing that I remember about the eighth habit is um, he talks about all of us humans have a stimulus and then we have a response. And what he called successful people, and I'm using that word loosely, successful people had a space between what you were stimulated by and how and whether you respond and how do we help people create space. And that's really what you're talking about. here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quote, actually. Isn't it like you can, in that space, you find your freedom or something like beautiful like that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So for people listening, they're like, mindfulness sounds great. Okay, I can do this. Um, I will start folding my clothes, doing the dishes, uh, driving. You know, you can be in mindful in traffic, all of people like you actually can be aware. Uh, but now they're thinking about their kids. And they're thinking, okay, I have a young child or I have a teenager. Give us some tips about how you would introduce this 
concept or act to a young ch- younger child group versus uh, more of a teenager group? Well, so for a younger child, I mean, I think the really the the biggest thing you can do is model it. You know, model it, doing it, doing it yourself, and talking about it while you're doing it yourself in front of your child. They they not only attune to your awareness, but then they hear you talking about it, and then you know they want to do what you're doing. So. When you're taking a walk with your child and you're talking about the grass between your toes or the leaves or the whatever you're doing, you are modeling that awareness. And then questions like within that, you know, have a dialogue, sort of ask them, what do you see? What do you notice? What what do you think we'd find under the dirt? I mean, all the things that you probably do anyway, but being aware when you're doing them, right? And that, and you're modeling for your child all of that present moment awareness, you know, putting your phone away, um, taking a, hey, I'm going to take, I'm feeling angry right now. The best thing you can do is say something like, I'm feeling angry right now. I think I need to take three deep breaths for myself. Want to do it with me? Um, Or I can see that you're feeling angry. When I feel that way, this is what I do. Want to try it? You know, things like that. So that's the kind of interaction you can have with your your little ones because they they want that. They see you and they're learning from you. And I think the older you get, you can still do the same things, but obviously you're going to change the way you communicate. Um, but with teenagers, you can actually talk about the science. You can talk about what's happening in the brain. You can talk about their nervous systems. You can talk about what does that feel like? You know, when you're angry at me and, you know, you're yelling, what is, what does that feel like? I can see that your body is all, you know, like crazy like this. What are you, what are you thinking about? Like you can change your questions to be more in line with what they're doing or thinking, mm-hmm. but still asking mm-hmm. the questions, but also you can explain to them the science behind mindfulness. Hey, when you take, you know, a deep breath through your nose, your nervous system is quieting down, which is going to help you. So if you're mad, that's okay, but like we can talk about it more rationally if you do this because this mm-hmm. is what's happening physiologically in your body. So it's just kind of working with their maturity and their understanding, but still kind of doing the same things and continuing that modeling. You know, when my kids see me saying something to myself like, oh, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I didn't, blah, 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 they now say to me, Why are you being so mean to yourself? Mm, what, nice. what, what are you feeling? Nice. You know? Nice. Yeah. So I like, so for the younger kids, um, what you're saying is the number one thing is to, to do it and to model it, um, and to show them, which is the cornerstone of what we're talking about, um, for parent footprint, like thinking consciously about what we're modeling for our kids. And then also I love the, the talking, the talking out loud and then the education, educating them about how their brain and body works. It's like, this is just a fact, you know, like this is how we work. Okay, so now the teenagers, what, how to, that's, you know, that could be a little bit more challenging for d- different reasons. Teenagers are tricky because their, um, their immediate response to everything these days seems to be, I know, I know, I know, I already know, mom, I know. And so kind of breaking through that I know wall. Um, but I think with teenagers, you kind of have to catch them at the right time. And it's a little bit on their terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you can say things like, I can see you're really mad at me right now and you're, you're slamming the door in my face. When you have a minute, 
I'd really like to talk to you. And they typically respond well to that. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, they, they are just a little trickier in the, in terms of reaching them when they're ready to be reached. Right. Timing is everything. Yeah. And I, the one thing I do want to say in terms of, you know, talking about how to teach this to your kids of all ages, one thing I just want to put out there is you're going to mess it up and like be nice, being nice to yourself is also another good way of modeling. Like if you're walking with your kid and you yell at them for something, what it it's going to happen. But Mm -hmm. for you to be able to then reflect out loud, you know what? I was feeling this when I said that, and maybe I should have done whatever. Even at a very young age, they start to see like, oh, I I can make mistakes and then I can learn from that and try something mm-hmm. different, you know? And, and my mom makes mistakes too, and she can talk about them too. Like they get yeah. all of that. And, and, and she admits it and she apologizes yeah. because kids, kids do not like us to be hypocritical. No, like, like they right through that. No. Yes. Um, the other thing that we had success with our, um, teenagers, older kids, when it came to this is, um, introducing them to a book or an app and just saying, Hey, this is re- really been helpful to me. Um, you might want to check this out, right? Like you're just trying not yep. to Books, be too, apps, yeah, and other yeah. people. Like yes. if there's a teacher they like and respect, if there's a, maybe you have a friend who's a little bit older than them, but maybe a little bit younger than you, who they, you know, other people, it, it can feel a little, um, you know, it feels a little hurtful sometimes or whatever. When you think like, I'm not able to teach my, and you know, that's the kind of projection that we try to avoid. Right. But mm-hmm. you, you can't help it. You're human. You love them. You want to be the teacher, the fixer, the everything. But sometimes actually somebody else stepping in and saying ABC to them makes more of an impact than you. Yes. Um, as yes. Parent. Absolutely. So let's turn to the I am series here. And um, everyone, so there are several books in the series. They are I Am Yoga, I Am Peace, I Am Human, I Am Love, I Am One. Uh, So many great titles. And the newest one, I Am Courage. So how did, how did, how did the I Am, how did this come to be? You know, I, it, it wasn't, uh, we weren't thinking about it as a series when it started. We, it started with one book, I Am Yoga. And my um, editor said to me, will you teach kids yoga? Why haven't you written a yoga book? And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Um, so I wanted, I would set out to write a yoga book. And as I thought about it, what I really wanted to do, I did not want to make it an instructional book, even though in the back of the book, there are poses and instructions and all that. I didn't want the meat of the text to be instruction. I wanted it to really tap into what what I was seeing and what I felt for myself about how yoga makes us feel, right? What it does to our inner lives. Um, And so I wrote, I am yoga. And Immediately after that, my editor said, well, what about mindfulness? We have to put that out there too. And so I was like, oh yeah, okay. So that's where I Am Peace came. And then after I Am Peace, then it was like, oh, there's a lot to talk about here. You know, there we we have, and, and the idea, the I am 
idea is just, um, I, I wanted the titles to start with I Am because my hope is that the reader gets this sense that they already are all those things. Like all that stuff is is in there. It's in there. We just okay. got to get to it. We just got to remember it. You know, we just got to remind ourselves. But you are, you embody all of these things. It's not something you have to, you know, go out and f- seek elsewhere. It's it's in there. It's um, within and you. So that's just how mm-hmm. it kind of became. Well, the book the books are beautifully illustrated. I mean, they are beautifully illustrated, and something that um that I noticed is that it there is I am throughout the book until the end it gets to we are and um I have a feeling that's purposeful so <laughs> I wonder like it's, it's just so it is so empowering for a child to see like I am this already like I, I even when I'm scared I already am brave um what is the trans what is your how do you What's behind the transition from I to we? Right. Well, it is definitely intentional. I think the idea is that, um, you know, once you really understand that you are these things, then that's how we collectively connect and how we make the world better. It's it's this idea that, um, you know, I, and when I talk to kids about it, it's like if you, if you aren't feeling good, uh, powerful, courageous, full of love, noticing that you're human, whatever it is within yourself, it's an incredibly hard thing to take care of others, to be there for others and to connect with others on this like kindness, empathy level. Um, And so understanding that first it begins with you and then there are lots of you. So it becomes we and then mm-hmm. we, we are this community and we are putting these things out into the world with each other and other people. So it's, you know, it starts with the I and then it's mm-hmm. the collective community. Yes. Yes. It starts with uh, self-compassion, self-awareness and self-compassion. Yeah. And then um, compassion for others and the connection to everyone being one big tribe. Exactly. You wrote a few things at the end of the book that I uh, would like us to talk about. Uh, One thing you wrote is bravery isn't fearlessness. Real courage comes from being afraid and still facing what challenges you, whether that means asking for help, sharing your truth, or slaying a dragon. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people think of courage this idea of courage as not having any fear. Um, and then that, if you think of it that way, then you never get to think of yourself as really being brave because we're, that's, there's no such thing. You know, we're not, none of us is without fear um, at some point, even though we think, you know, oh, that guy was a cliff diver. He's fearless, but I am certain he is not fearless. Um and so I, I definitely wanted th- this particular author's note. I, I actually like it a lot mm-hmm. just because I get to talk about, you know, that, that, that isn't really the truth. The truth is mm-hmm. courage is 
in the everyday things. And courage is understanding that you're you're going to be afraid, but mm-hmm. you can still push through. And again, and then and there's that metacognition piece where you can right. tell yourself, "Yes, I can. I can do yes. this." And it, it, of course, and in the author's note, I say it too. Of course, you want to like your your the the gentleman who told the story about the airplane you want to make sure there isn't real danger there you know there's mm-hmm. that idea of fear that um means danger but once you can sort of eliminate the danger then it's really that's how you flourish is by having yes. fear and then yes. moving through it and whatever that means whether that's making a choice for yourself saying i'm actually not going to do that because I don't want to. That's courage, you mm-hmm. know, all mm-hmm. of those things. So yeah, that's that was the idea behind that. Authors. Well, and the subtitle to the book, um, which I alluded to earlier, but I'll state it formally, it, the, the book is I Am Courage, A Book of Resilience. So when we think about one of the things that we want for our kids is to teach them resilience, the idea uh, bouncing back in the face of adversity, knowing that they can problem solve, they could reach out for help, they can get through something. That is scary. There's lots of scary things that happen to us. There's lots of curveballs like life inevitably, whether it's a large pandemic or something on the smaller micro scale, like there's always adversity. And we're trying to help our kids learn that they can breathe and calm themselves. They can think about their thinking and is their thinking being their friend or is it being their foe and develop a toolbox by which to reach out, get through, cope. And each time that happens, they strengthen their resiliency muscle. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, then that's 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 the idea is to teach them, like you said, life is going to throw all kinds of things your way and mm-hmm. you're going to get knocked down by it sometimes. But how you move through life is that you, you know, you get you get up again and you figure out a way to kind of manage that and move ahead. I mean, we and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, I said mm-hmm. to my son the other day, well, when I thought when we all thought that the pandemic was tapering off a bit. Mm-hmm. And he had spent, you know, all of last year, they had all, all this virtual learning yeah. and all the stress and all the everything. And I said to him, I hope that later in life, when you have a thought in your head about something you can't do, you can say to yourself, you know, I made it through a global pandemic, so mm-hmm. I can do this. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That, that sums it up. That sums it up right there. Um, I, uh, one more thing I want to say that you wrote at, at the end of the author's note, which is for parents to hear, listeners to hear, um, not only, I mean, for their kids, but for themselves, is um, you wrote, fear is a place for opportunity and growth. And I think that is so critical because this is going to sound funny, but we are afraid of fear. Like we're afraid of being afraid. No one wants to be afraid. And if we can pivot that to see that anytime we're afraid, we have an opportunity to stretch, to persevere, to survive, and to ultimately thrive. And to see it as that, as opposed just to something that is completely overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, I think as, you know, as a parent, or at least for me as a parent, uh, Initially, in my parenting, 
I was determined to protect my kids so they wouldn't have to, you know, have any trauma or fear or anything, that life would just be this beautiful journey with no problems. And I, I, because that was such a reaction to, to my upbringing, but mm-hmm. I um, came to this understanding that there's no avoiding it. There's mm-hmm. no avoiding it. I cannot protect them from being afraid, no matter how many times I check under their bed for monsters or whatever it is. Um, and so therefore, we have to take this fear and learn how to, to grow, how to stretch, how to push through um, and, th- and move past it and know that the next time we feel afraid, okay, well, we made it through that last time. So now we can make it through this next time. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah. that is the hope. And it's something I as a grown-up I work on all the time also. You know, I'm not walking around like fearless and everything's perfect <laughs> and no, it's chaotic what? and crazy and right. No, imagine no. it's not yeah. perfection. Uh I make loads of mistakes and I uh, you know, all of that. Um but I I feel like a lot a lot of these books for me <laughs> are a way of also working through my own things in, in mm-hmm. this very stage of my life. So, yes. you know, yes. I'm doing it too. Yeah. I'm right there with you. You are aware. You are so aware. Um, which brings us to that awareness question, the parent footprint moment okay. question. So please tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or an awareness of your parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, or those you love. Um, well, certainly I can talk about an awareness of my, my parents. When I had children, my parents, who were challenging parents, um, and they became incredible grandparents, like mm. in this way that I was sort of like, wait a minute, where did that all come from? Um, but it was, I think in those moments, I realized that their inability to parent me the way they grandparent was not my fault. It was a result of whatever they had experienced mm-hmm. and maybe you know they they hadn't had the desire wherewithal whatever to do all this thinking about their thinking and so they just acted and reacted um and it gave me an incredible amount of empathy um and this ability to actually talk about those things with them um, which they were so happy to talk about. I didn't even know they'd want to talk about. And that really changed my relationship with them. Even though I was older, I was a parent already, but it helped me in my parenting as well because mm-hmm. I, I, I really got to explore that with them. Um, and I think if I hadn't seen them sort of jump in and be these incredible, loving, you know, thoughtful grandparents and uh, that it might not have... I might not have had that opportunity and I might not have been so conscious of then my own parenting moving forward. I don't know when I became mm. more self-aware of myself. It, it, it was a real process, you know, mm-hmm. starting with being independent and out of my home, um, 
becoming a, you know, having a job, going to yoga class, and then finally figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, which was be a teacher and making all of those decisions myself based on what I was feeling. Um, That gave me more sort of awareness of my potential and the way I could talk to myself instead of just moving. You know, and it's, it's, it's not uncommon for parents to see their parents be wonderful grandparents and 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 just be like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, could I have had some of that? Exactly. Um, and and you're right. I, I just want to point out because you have just given us so many awarenesses. Um, is that with each generation when we're critical which is often easy to do, like every parent was a child who had experiences and were parented a certain way. And then that grandparent and the great grandparent, like it just keeps going, right? Like everyone is formed by their experiences. And that's where we have to try to have as much compassion um, as we can for everyone trying to do the best that they can um, as we're trying to understand where we came from and how we want to do it differently with our own kids. Yeah, exactly. It really, it gave me, uh, it, it really altered my relationship actually with my father because once we started sort of talking and exploring, you know, asking about his own experience, the more he sort of wanted to experience my, you know, what I was going through and, and talk about being aware. And then he got into meditation and all of it. It was really lovely. It was just sort of, mm. and yes, of course there were moments like, why couldn't this have happened earlier? Yeah. But yes. the fact that it happened at all, I'm grateful for. So. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Tell everyone where they can find your series, your teachings, and what you're up to. Uh-huh. Um, well, um, y- the best place probably is to uh, go to my website where you can find out sort of what I offer for visits and workshops and all of those things and get information on the books and where to buy them, although they are hopefully in all of your independent bookstores and also online. Um, and my website is susanverde.com. Um, and I'm pretty active on Instagram at Susan Verde. You can find me on Twitter as well, um, but I, I'm better at Instagram for some reason. Um, and please send me an email. My email is up there on my website. I'm happy to do whatever I can to support whomever I can. Wonderful. Thank you so much Thank for sharing you your so experience. Much. Yes, This was great. Yes. Thank you. This is so in line with what we uh, which we talk about a parent footprint, awareness um, and growth and self-compassion and um, compassion for others, uh, just continuing to grow. And um, so thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you for what you're doing as well. That's it, everyone. Share this show. I know so many will benefit from it. Thank you for being a part of our community try to be that person you want your child to become. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by Pro Tunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.